to the point where instead of leading people back to God, which was their original intention, the point was to lead people back to them. So they lost their way. So these are extremely religious people who had a very good heritage, but lost their way and began to look down upon these tax collectors and sinners. You got that group? Well, the Pharisees did not like the tax collectors and sinners, and in walks this 30-year-old person who never went to any of their schools, never studied under any of their teachers, and didn't really pay them much attention. And he began to eat and drink and dance and talk with tax collectors and sinners. This is not good, according to them. And so Jesus, who is not like us, now this is how we would react to the Pharisees. We'd say, you dirty Pharisee, you're so judgmental. I'm Jesus and I'm cool and I get to hang out with, with sinful people. That's not how Jesus reacted. What we're about to see is Jesus reaching out to the tax collectors and sinners and also reaching out to the Pharisees because Jesus' heart is he wants to bring everyone together. He's not just sweet on the the sinners and, and, and angry at religious hypocrites. No, Jesus wants to bring everybody together, so the following story is designed to do that. And somehow, some way, I'm going to tie that in with Christmas. Matty Mac is sitting there going, I want to see you pull this off. <laughs> All right. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Now, one of, most people in this group right now are on one of the other teams, okay? I know many of you. <laughs> So I know generally what team you're on, whether you're on the good guy team or the bad guy team. Anyway, you're on a team, okay? Now listen. And he said, this is Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Okay? Now what this son is asking for is his what? Inheritance. Very good. Now here's a question. When did a child usually receive their inheritance? Upon the death of their father. So what is this kid saying to his father? You know what, Dad? To be honest with you, I'm done with you. Really, I wish you were dead. Please give me what's coming to me. Give me the property that is coming to me. This is a spoiled, ungrateful, horrible child who cares nothing for his father, nothing for his father's honor, and basically has been using his father since the day he was born, and he cannot tolerate his father for one more second. So what he says is, even though I don't like you, I do want your things. Don't like you, but I do want your things. So let's pretend that you're dead. I'll take half of your property, and then I'll go my way, and you stay here in your miserable home, Dad. Now, how does the father respond? The father says, well, really? Oh, you wish I was dead? How about you go out and live on your own and provide for yourself? That's not what the father does. What does the father do? He gathers his son and he divides the property between both of them. He says, that's what you want to do? Here's half your property. Go for it. He gives it to him. Now, in this story, who is the father? It's God. Remember, we always ask the question, who are we in the story? Who's God in the story? 
Now think this through. Right now we're probably thinking, what a scummy, terrible, terrible son to do that to his father. Well look, at least this kid had the integrity to express to his father the truth of how he felt. I want you to understand something. The breath that you're breathing in your lungs right now is not coming from your respiratory system. The breath that you're breathing right now is coming from your Father in heaven. The scripture says every good and perfect gift comes from above from the Father of lights. Is oxygen a gift? Yes. You're going to pay God back for oxygen? You go, oh, Andrew, I mean, let me explain something to you. If you've ever had an asthma attack, you begin to see how important oxygen is. How many breaths, of, how many intakes of oxygen have you taken since the moment you've been born? I'm not even talking about your house, your car, your apartment, your shelter, your food. I'm not even talking about all those other gifts. I'm talking about the, like, the most bare, basic gift that you have comes from God, the Father. And what have we given him? Many of us exist taking, taking, taking from God, and he doesn't ask for anything in repayment other than just plain love. That's it. You say, how do you know that? Well, what's the greatest commandment? You're supposed to what? Love the Lord your God. He says, I'm going to give you oxygen. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you friends. I'm going to give you family. Downtown Lewiston's in bad shape. I want to put cell 53 here and have people love you and serve you and have this guy go and sing a song and touch her. I'm going to give you all this stuff. And what you all, what do I want? I want you to love me. That's what you need to do. That's how you repay me. And what do we do? We turn our backs on God. We use his gifts over and over again. And many of us would much rather that God was dead. I mean, literally, there are books. God is dead. There are philosophers. God is dead. These are, this is the heart cry, unfortunately, but honestly, of the human soul, is we want God's things. We don't want him. We want him dead. Don't want to live under his rules. Don't want to live under his crazy, restrictive, terrible rules. But we do want his stuff. Who are you in the story? You are me, and we are this crazy, horrible, younger son. This is who we are. Now watch this. Not many days later, verse 13, the younger son gathered all he had, and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So notice, it says, not many days later. So the dad gives the son this, and the son was still staying at his dad's house for a while. Can you imagine? Hey, dad, I want your dad to give me, all, give me half the stuff. He stayed at his dad's house for a while, so he could formulate a plan so he could abandon his father. His father never kicks him out, by the way. And if you see this in the scripture, you know, Cain, you know, Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, yes, he banished them from the Garden of Eden, but he did not banish them from his presence. Cain, after he kills his brother, Abel, the text does not say that God banished him from his presence. You know what it says? Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. 
even if you just murdered your brother. And God still will not push Cain out of his presence, but Cain leaves the presence of the Lord. So here he is, just like Cain, just like me, just like you. He gets up, and he leaves the presence of his father, and he squandered his property in reckless living. He wasted it. This dude wasted everything that his father had worked for. Now, you got to understand something about the inheritance, okay? His dad is out there on the farm, planting those potato seeds, harvesting them, doing the back-breaking labor. And you know what was going on in the mind of the Jew at that time? He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about passing on that legacy to the next generation. You know, in our age, we're very self-centered, we're very self-focused. In their age, they were never thinking about themselves. They were always thinking about the next generation, always. So this father, the entire time he's, he's fielding, he's doing all this work, and he's saying, I'm going to give this to my sons, and they're going to make it better than I did, and it's going to be great. We're going to have an awesome legacy as a family. What does this kid do? He blows it. Three weeks, he's done. Reckless living. Stupid living. You just, look, God gave you, what have you done with the breath that God has given you? You know, we got the song, it's your breath in my lungs, so we what? Pour out our praise. Right? What are we doing with the things that God has given us? What are you doing with your car? What are you doing with your uh, apartment, your house? What are you doing with your body? What are you doing with your hands? What are you doing with everything that God... What are you doing with your friends? Being reckless with your friends? Just silly, wasting time? Wasting all the millions of breaths that God has given you to love him and love your neighbor who's created in his image? You're realizing loving your neighbor is another form of loving God because your neighbor is created in the image of God. You see... And God comes in through the back way because he wants you to love Oh, look, love your neighbor. Neighbors in my What are you doing? This kid is wasting it. Squandered his property. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Surprise, surprise. Here you see the sovereignty of God. You know, God is calling some of you back, and you're angry at him for calling you back. You say, how do you know this is the sovereignty of God? Well, look, notice, the famine didn't start when he was rich. You know why I say that's the sovereignty of God? What would that kid have done if the famine started while he was still rich? He wouldn't have wasted all that money, would he? Because he would have needed bread. It would have been between his life and his money, and that tends to make you a little bit more intelligent with what you do. Nope, the famine came after he did all of his foolishness. When he had nothing, that's when the famine came. That, my friends, is the sovereignty of God. You know, many times we misinterpret our lives. How many of you have said, man, one thing is happening after another, and it could not come at a worse time? You know, this kid is sitting there going, I just spent my last shekel. This famine could not have come at a worse time. You see, in the background, God is pursuing this crazy, crazy kid. And you can look back, those of you who are, who are right now in right relationship with God, you can look back at your life and see 
how God orchestrated terrible circumstances to wake you up and make you start questioning your reckless living. Isn't that true? You can look back and go, oh, that's what you were doing. And you now you can go back and tell other people, hey, the reason that there's a famine after you spent your last shekel is because God wants to wake you up. So God is telling this kid, man, wake up. Now, how does this kid respond? Does this kid respond and say, man, I was crazy. I don't know what I was doing. Well, let's see. Verse 15. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So his response is not to pray. His response at this point is not to say, I need to go back to my dad. No, he says, I'm going to solve this problem in my own power. This is where some of you are. Your life is in shambles. Everything is happening at the worst possible time. And you're not going to turn to God. You're going to go and fix it yourself. You're going to solve your own problem. And let, let, me, give you, let me give you a fast forward in the, in the storybook of your life. That's not going to work. You say, I've always fallen on my feet before. I've always landed on my feet before. One of these days you're not. You will cycle into this cycle of failure until you recognize that someone is trying to get your attention. But this kid is figuring out, I can do this on my own. I don't need dad. Now what in the world would prevent this child from going back to his father's house? Number one, pride. Because he made this big deal about getting all his stuff and leaving. Pride. Pride will make you do some of the craziest things. Now think about this. At some level, isn't this noble? You're in trouble? Get a job. Some of you need to do this. You need to get a job. This is very, very basic. Get a job. Find employment. That's good. But he didn't read the situation properly. What he should have done was say, man, God, I completely ruined this. I dishonored my father. And I need to go back and repent to my dad. No. What he does is he goes with his own self-effort to solve the problem. And where does it land him? He is feeding pigs. Now, why is that significant? Pigs, to Jewish people were the most unclean animal. The most unclean animal. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, when uh, you, when God wanted to insult people for, for turning their back on him, he says, you know, a pig goes back in its slop. This is highly, it's terrible. Terrible insult. It's a very unclean animal. And what does this kid doing? He is working in a field to feed pigs. He becomes the servant of pigs. At first, he was a child of a guy who had property, who was loved and cared for, and now what is he reduced to? He is reduced to feeding pigs. Why? What is God trying to accomplish? What we said earlier was what was keeping this man away from his father? Pride. So what does God do? He sets him up with a guy who has him feeding the nastiest animals of all time. What's he trying to do? Break his pride. I know people personally who literally have left the planet Earth due to their pride. If you don't believe me, pride will kill you. It will kill you. 
Why else would this kid feed these pigs and not go back to his father? Here's the second reason. Fear. He is afraid of how his dad is going to treat him when he comes back. You know what one of the biggest fears in the human soul is? Rejection. He is scared to death that if he goes back to his father, his father is going to say, no way, man. You, you, you took too many turns. You've done this too many times. Now you've wasted everything that I worked for. No way. We're done. And he'd rather feed pigs and deal with that fear. You know, we talk a lot about the fear of God. There is a good fear of God and a bad fear of God. A good fear of God is the type of fear that you have when there's like a horrible house fire. And on the one hand, you're mesmerized by the fire. But on the other hand, you know the fire is destructive. But on the other hand, you can't stop looking away. That, that, that's that respect for some supernatural power, but at the same time, you are mesmerized, spellbound by it. There's this other fear, though, that doesn't come from God, but actually comes from Satan. The right good fear of God will actually bring you closer to God. The bad fear of God keeps you away. This kid is afraid. He won't go. He's feeding pigs. Look at verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. You know, in his dad's house, things weren't like that. You know, if he's hungry, he'd go make himself a sandwich. He could take care of himself at his dad's house. Not so here. He is being treated as less than an animal. Not only less than an animal, less than the filthiest animal. Now at this point, remember Jesus' audience. Jesus' audience is saying, well, the Pharisees are saying, that's what he deserves, isn't it? You broke the rules, you dishonored your father, and now God has struck you, and he's going to destroy your life, and now you're less than a pig, and that's what you deserve. The people in your life are like that. What are the tax collectors saying? What are the sinners saying? The sinners are saying, man, I know that feeling. Man, I know what it feels like to be treated as less than a pig, less than a human being. This is man's inhumanity to man. That you would see a kid starving, emaciated, losing weight, and you won't even give him the pods, the slop from a pig. You have zero compassion. See, the, 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 the tax collectors and the sinners understood this. They understood what it was like. And so did the Pharisees, because they were on the other side. And many times, when you're in that situation, even if you've done the wrong thing, and you've messed up, and you've done terrible things, you begin to believe, well, this is what I deserve. I deserve less than pig sloth. I deserve this. Verse 17. This kid's in trouble. He's hungry. His pride is broken. He's got no hope. Look at the next line. Man, th th this next line is one of my favorite lines in the entire Bible. But when he came to himself, when he came to himself, when he woke up, when he said, wait a second, wait a minute, this is not me, this is not who I am. Sometimes I'll say that to myself. This is not me. Like, I'm Andrew. 
He came to himself. He said, wait a second. You know, some of us need that moment. That's the moment of conversion for many of you. It's when you wake up to who you actually are. You know what my biggest job is since we started this church? Is simply reminding people of who they actually are. Or educating people as to who they actually are. Because either we don't know or we have forgotten. You know, this culture, this society will tell you who you are. Ladies, they will tell you that your value is based on whether or not a man thinks you're attractive and whether or not he loves you and whatever. Men, this society will tell you that who you are is based on what you can produce and how much bacon you can put on the plate, etc. There, there are a whole host of, of, of people and cultural ideas of who you are and what you are and where you base your value. How does this kid base his value? Look what he says. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Notice, he doesn't, when he comes to himself, he doesn't say, I'm such an awesome kid, if I come back, my dad will like me. That's not what he says. What he says is, man, my father's hired servants have more than enough bread. What's he saying? He is remembering the generosity of his dad. He said, man, my dad's servants had more than enough bread, which meant that his dad took care of the people that were working for him. Also means his dad was rich because not every Jewish person had servants for his field. He said, man, my dad was a generous landowner. He was a generous boss. I know what I'll do. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now, when he says, I have sinned against heaven... Remember, the Jews did not like using the name of the Lord in vain. So they came up with multiple different ways to refer to God. And one of them was heaven. He says, I sinned against heaven. He's saying, I've sinned against God. I sinned against God and I sinned against you. This guy is recognizing, okay, God orchestrated this situation to get me to realize what I have done. I have sinned against God and against you. I sin against God because God says to honor, honor my father and mother and in dishonoring God, I am dishonoring you, I am dishonoring God. That's one. Two is that I've sinned against you. I know that I have hurt you, Dad. And here's the other thing. He also shamed his father. Can you imagine? Everybody in the community would have known about this situation. A very small community. Not many things you could keep private. Can you imagine all the slander and the gossip that would have happened? Man, this guy, his kid doesn't even like him. Uh, took all this stuff and then he wasted it on all this junk. Believe me, there was gossip going on. We're going to see that in a second. He completely and totally shamed his father. This is a fate worse than death in their culture. They were in a shame-honored culture. This dude dishonored his father. So he's going back and he's saying, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He's saying, okay, I get it. What is he doing? What do we say he was afraid of? Rejection. So what does he do? He front loads the rejection in his repentance so he doesn't have to hear his dad say, you're not worthy to be my son. You see how that works? Don't we do that? You think somebody's going to reject you? So you reject yourself first so you don't have to hear it from them. Some of you, this is why you destroy your relationships. You don't know that's why you're doing it, but trust me, that's why you're doing it. 
So he throat loads rejection into his repentance so that he doesn't have to hear it from his father. Make me like one of your servants. He is only in survival mode now. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to survive. And he arose and came to his father. This kid knows the way back home. And watch this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I have a question. Do you think it was a coincidence that the father just so happened to be outside looking in that direction while the son just so happened to appear from far off? You think that was a coincidence? Probably not. How do you explain that? The father would take his stand outside and he was looking in the direction where his son left, hoping his son would come back. And notice it says, he saw him from a long way off. How did he know that that was his boy from a long way off? He's, see, see, he knows his son, he knows his son's walk, he knows his son's mannerisms from all the way off. He knows who his boy is. This is the heart of God the Father, by the way. He is illustrating a God who knows us, who can see us from far off as we're coming to him. Now look, he embraced him and he kissed him. Now the word for embraced actually uh, literally is he fell on his neck. Okay? So he runs up to his son and he falls on his neck and kisses him. Now look, he is probably wearing a robe. This is how they dressed at the time. Nobody was wearing jeans. You know what that means? This father, this dignified landowner with all this money, would have had to hike up his robe and run. Can you imagine this? This scene with all this dignity. And he's picking up his robe and he's running to embrace his son who completely dishonored him. What does this tell you about the heart of God the Father? Here's one. We have a humble God. We have a God who cares more about his... Think about this. God is humble. And he loves his kids more than he loves the opinion of everybody around him. His father picks up his rope and he runs to his son. And now the son has his rehearsed speech. Look what he says. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Think quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Notice, the son was not able to finish his statement. He says, Man, I'm not worthy. And what he was going to say is, Make me like one of your. And the father says, oh, okay. We gotta throw a party. First of all, we gotta bring this kid the best robe. Quickly. Why? Because probably he smelled really terrible and the robe that he was in was covered in pig garbage. And so God, the father says, no son of mine is gonna be walking around in that. You know, it's, it's like my friends, you know, in the hood, in the hood, you know, in New York City. We'd be living in the projects. The projects are places where very poor people are. And then, uh, you know, Shaquita would have a baby. And then you see Shaquita who's living in the projects. And what is the baby wearing? Jordans. 
is $70 for baby Jordans. Why? Because the heart of a parent, you want your kids to be in the best. But look what he says, bring the best robe. Now these robes were usually reserved for honored guests and honored special people. The regular people, even the sons and daughters, would not wear this robe. This would be a robe that you would wear for dignitaries when they would come to visit. You know what this means? That the father dressed the son better when he sinned against him than before. Because only in Christianity are you better after redemption than when you sinned. We're going to be glorified, the scripture says. We're not just going to be restored to how we were in the Garden of Eden. We're actually going to be glorified to the degree almost that Christ is glorified, Paul says in Philippians. We're going to be given a glorified body. We're going to be clothed with glory more so than even Adam and Eve were. And he's dressing this kid like a prince. He says, the boat and put on him a ring on his hand. Now the ring at that time was also symbolic of the very authority of the father. You would write a letter, you have a wax, and then you stick the ring in there, and the ring functioned as your signature. You know what that means? The father's saying, enough about this thing where you're just going to be one of my servants. I'm going to give you authority as if you were me. I'm going to have you rule this little farm with me. We're going to do this together. Then I'm going to dress you in the best robe. I'm going to dress, I'm going to put that ring on your finger and one of them to say sandals on your feet. Why are sandals important? Well, the servants didn't get to wear sandals. Sandals were a delicacy at the time. And so the father is saying, one, you're not, he's making sure from head to toe, this kid is knowing that he is not a servant. He looked down at his feet and see some sandals, and you're not a servant. You know, he remember how he dishonored his dad and he hated his dad. And he looked down in shame, but then he sees sandals on his feet. You see. And dad is reminding you, man, you are not a servant. You are a son. Think about this. Man, he is dressing this kid like a prince. A prince. He is dressing him better now than he was before. You know, the scripture says. In Psalm chapter 8, David is freaking out, and he's saying, well, what is man? Why do you care so much about man? And he says, you crown him with glory and honor. And then the crown falls into the ground as we sin, and it's not as if God reaches into the mud and dusts off your dirty crown. He says, well, that's not going to do. And he gives you an even bigger crown, and he staples that thing on your head, and it's never going to fall off ever again. You will never lose it again. Verse 23, bring the fat calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Whole house, party. Again, in this time period, you didn't just eat meat every day. There was no Walmart. You're not going to Walmart. You didn't eat meat every day. The fat calf was for a special occasion. Again. This kid is completely and totally shell-shocked. He has no idea what is happening. Everybody's celebrating. Everybody's partying. And because of the father's love for the son, those around the father are looking around and saying, well, I mean, really, the only person that could be legit offended at this kid is the dad. And the dad is celebrating. we got to celebrate. There's no, there's no reason for us to hold anything against this kid. 
because the dad loves it. But what are you going to do? All right, well, we're going to break out the wine, not get drunk, we're going to break out the wine, and celebrate. So everybody is celebrating. And that is the end of the story. No, it is not. Look what happens. Now, his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. This is odd. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. So now this other son, whose brother has been separated from the house, he hears that his brother is back. Now how should this brother respond? Well, primarily he should be happy because that's his brother. You should be happy for your brother that he came back alive, safe and sound. You know, I got a friend, his brother's in trouble, his brother's not in spiritual health, he's praying for him all the time. We talked about, man, you're going to baptize your brother one day. I said, what's that going to be like? He said, man, I'm losing. That's good. That's how a brother is supposed to be. Well, that's not this kid's reaction. Look how he responds. Verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. And you should be happy. Okay, let's say you're mad at your brother. Shouldn't be happy for your dad? Don't you remember your dad taking his place outside the house, looking in the direction for his boy? Don't you remember all those days his dad would turn around, sundown, crying because the son hasn't come back? Shouldn't you at least be happy for your father? Let's see why he's angry. He refused to go in. But his father came out and entreated him, was pleading with him. This is the heart of the father. But he answered his father, Look these many years I have served you. The Greek word there is slave. He says, Dad, I have been your slave these years. And I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Is that true? You never gave me anything? Didn't we say at the beginning that the father divides the inheritance between both of them? And here he is, none of that matters. He's angry because the son is getting all of this attention and celebration. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, how does he know that? I mean, did he witness that happen? Oh, instead of looking out for your brother like your dad, you were listening in on the gossip mill about your brother. Instead of pursuing your brother, you, you, were, you were just gossiping about your brother. You didn't really care much about him. You don't know definitively that he was spending his money on prostitutes. It very well could have been. But what is your obligation as a brother? Should you not then have tried to find him if your brother was in such trouble? No, you're angry now that your brother has returned. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Look, you didn't waste your inheritance. You still have it. And the only thing that I have left is yours because your brother's inheritance is gone. So literally speaking, he's telling him the truth. Everything that I have belongs to you. What are you angry about? But listen, it was fitting. The Greek says it was necessary. 
We had to. This is a law. We had to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He is lost and he's found. Don't you know there's laws in heaven, you know? And one of God's rules is when somebody comes back home, everything has to stop and we have to celebrate. That's what it says. It's necessary that we celebrate. That's the rule in heaven. Maybe you didn't know that. You go, oh, Andrew, you're being all quirky. Don't you realize in the Old Testament there were laws about feasts? God made it a law that people had to party and have feasts and celebrate? You've got to party. You have to. So he said, man, if we're going to party about anything, we're going to party about this. This is necessary. This is a rule in heaven. You've got to celebrate. Now look, how does the brother respond? We are not told. We're not told how the brother responds. All we're left with is the father's plea. To the older brother. Notice what the, the, the son says in verse 30. When this son of yours came, the son of yours, you guys are like on the same team. I'm like doing my own thing with my friends. Me and my friends, and then it's you and your son. You know what that means? That means this kid doesn't like his father just as much as the younger one didn't like his father at the beginning of the story. He hates his dad just as much. His perception of his father is that he is a stingy slave driver. Remember, the younger son said, my dad is a generous boss. Remember that? He said, my dad gives bread to even the servants. This kid is saying, you're a stingy slave driver. See the difference? Your perception of who God is will dictate to you how you engage him. If you think that doing good things for people is your obligation as a good and dutiful slave and that God is sitting here just driving you into the ground, you're going to resent him even as you're serving him. Where do we find the older brother? In the field. What? Working. Be careful. And we do a lot of good works in this community. I praise God for it. But be careful that you're not always in the field working, slaving. Because your resentment towards your father will begin to build. Make sure that you don't let anybody project onto you obligations of slavery. Don't do that. You say, where is the remix and how did this work with Christmas? Well, a parable is a story that doesn't always necessarily carry with it the exact details. Okay? Of how things go. Let me give you an example. The scripture says that we are adopted. If we were to remix the story, we would not start off as a younger brother. We would start off as one of the servants. And we stole half of the father's money. And in the night, we ran off to a far country. And the police came after us. And we hid. And we hid. And finally, the son said, you know, I really love that servant. I really did. I'm going to go and find him myself. Now, the older brother in this story loves you. Even though you stole it. Even though you've robbed and you left in the dead of night. Even though you hate his father, this son loves you. And he said, I'm going to go find you. So he goes looking for you. And you see him. And he's calling your name. Matt, Tex, Heather. 
know what you did? You went behind him and you put three bullets in him and he dies. But in doing so, the cops find you and they bring you to the father. And the chief pulls your dad aside, the dad aside, and you see the dad's face drop and you see him bawling, crying for the son. And the chief says, this is the murder. And they shove you. And when you see the brokenness of that father, because you killed his son, you begin to say you're sorry. And the father goes into the house, and he comes back with this robe, and he comes back with shoes, and he said, you put these on. These belong to my son. You wear them. And he brings you into a room. Because in his house, there's lots of rooms. He said, I want you to stay in this room. Why? This is my son's room. Son, you killed. I want you to stay in his room. And you hear all the music and dancing. And he brings you in. And he says, I want you to sit here. Why? Because this is where my son used to sit, the son you killed. I want to be your father. You killed my son. I want to adopt you. You're in my son's robe. You're wearing my son's shoes. You got my son's ring. You sleep in his bed. I want you to be my son. All charges dropped. What's Christmas? Christmas is Jesus, the good big brother, seeing you wasting all of your breaths and all of your friends, and all of your life. And his impulse is not to stay in the gossip mill. His impulse is to come down. That's Christmas. Jesus coming down to look for you. But in doing so, he died. And the father's reaction is, that's worth it. And now the father clothes you with the very robes of Jesus Christ. We've got to celebrate, though, because that's a rule in heaven. He brought you back home. And you say, Dad, call me Dad. Daddy, call me Dad. How can we celebrate? I just killed your favorite son. He says, sit down. The father says, all right, it's time to eat. What do you like for dinner? You say, I like steak, I like potatoes. All right, steak, potatoes, dad likes that. He said, I'm going to send a text message to uh, my lead servant. And he sends a text message, and the lead servant comes down and gives you your steak and potatoes, and it's none other than the son you killed because he rose from the dead. Now we're partying. This is Christmas. Everybody comes home. Everybody is welcome. And man, that father and that son envelop you in a hug that makes you feel like you are going to die. They're squeezing you tightly. He said, I was waiting. I was leaning over the edge of heaven for years for you. For years. Watching. And I saw you when they brought you to me. 
This is Christmas. I'm praying right now that there's a party in heaven that some of you would wake up to yourself. You got a slave, you're a son, you got sandals on your feet, you got a ring on your finger, you got a robe, you're a prince, you're a princess. Believe it, believe the gospel. Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much, God, for your crazy love to religious, hypocritical sinners and other sinners and all of us, God. And we roll around in the dirt. We don't realize the gift that you are and that you have been to us, God. I pray that you would um, drill the gospel into us, God. God, I pray there would never, ever be a homeless person in Lewiston ever again. We find our place at the table. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, proclaiming the kingdom of God for the sake of the city. For more resources, visit cell53.com.